You're listening to Live Free Creative, an intentional podcast with practical tips for living your life on purpose. I'm your host, Miranda Anderson, and I believe in creativity, adventure, curiosity, and the magic of small moments. I hope that every time you listen, you feel empowered and free to live the life that you want. Hello, I welcome you back to Live Free Creative Podcast. You're listening to episode 182, Seeking the Divine Feminine. I have been looking forward to recording this episode for some time and hope that you enjoy this exploration of the idea of the divine feminine and how an understanding of this concept can enrich, empower, and enliven our lives. The vast majority of listeners to this podcast are women, female identifying, possibly menstruating, possibly childbearing, women who may or may not have a yearning for a divine feminine figure, archetype, example, or symbol in your lives. I mentioned in a podcast episode last year, episode 150, about my personal spiritual journey of living a nuanced faith within a structured, organized religion, that the doctrine of a divine feminine has felt very comforting to me from a young age. It's a doctrine that I really love and have felt connected to. And in doing some exploration and research and for, both for this podcast and just for my, my personal spiritual journey, I have been empowered, enlivened, and enriched by some of the things that I've learned, the concepts that have changed my perspective and that have helped me feel more whole and know myself even better. My intention with this episode is not to instruct or preach necessarily, simply to open a conversation and to share some of the really beautiful pieces of research, some thought ideas, and some poetry that I have found incredibly inspiring and enriching in my own personal research of this idea and my own personal seeking for the divine feminine in my own life. Like everything I share, the ideas are all take them or leave them. My hope is to uplift and inspire, not necessarily to prescribe a certain type of thought or action or, or belief system, never to impose, of course. This season itself, the season in which this episode will be released is uh, the coming forth of spring. Uh, a lot of people in Christendom celebrate Easter or a Holy Week uh, throughout all of the different religious cultures and even non-religious, you know, pagan I ideologies, there's a celebration of the coming forth of newness and creation and the rebirth of the earth itself at this season. I thought it a really beautiful time to open up. In so many ways, I have connected to myself through my connection to the earth, to mother nature, and to my understanding of our own seasons and the way that they can very very beautifully mirror some of the experiences and emotions and circumstances of our lives. So I hope that this spiritual discussion in this holy week of rebirth and resurrection and renewal feels special 
and inspiring to you. I want to begin with one of my favorite segments called Pause for a Poem and also let you know that I found so many beautiful pieces of poetry that I wanted to share that I will be clipping some in throughout the episode. So look forward to a handful of really delightful pieces of poetry throughout this episode. Here's the first one. For all those little gifts you gave to the mythologists and archeologists to give me, I thank you, mother. For that precious, big-bellied figurine pressed by paleolithic hands and the magical naked outline of you on the walls of caves, I thank you. I thought I was a motherless child in an always motherless house, and then your little surprises began to come, as did my tears, my grateful tears. For there was your soft and ancient voice. I am here. I am female. I am divine. Thank you for the word mother, spoken centuries before the word father. For blood and baby do not lie, but testify that mother was the first thing, the power that carried and birthed the universe, and all in it, the sea, the earth, the animals, the upright ones, the men and women who lived in peace within her safe cycle and gathered food to the easy sound of wind and rain. I am here, I am female, I am divine. I thank you, mother, for brooding over your people when the dark times came, when the invaders came, and the Indo-Europeans from the north and the Semites from the desert, turning the birthing upside down so Athena was born of the forehead of Zeus and Eve was born of the rib of Adam. Their gods were male, and their swords were bronze, and they named you abomination, and butchered and buried you without knowing they were planting you. For you are the transformer who turns a seed into a tree, the tree of life, who is sturdy and many, and grew in all places, the goddess of many names that I read now on pages made from the tree that speak for thee. I am here, I am female, I am divine. Athena, Ceres, Serdwin, Demeter, Diana, Hathor, Inanna, Isis, Kali, Mat, Venus, hundreds more, shining black or ivory or red, and each name that points to mother. The past does what the past is, and it is gone. Men are still warriors, but not all. For many understand that our very being turns now on our turning to mother, who is ready to correct our view of heaven so that God herself and God himself, who were always one, can join on earth to bless the confused billions. The next step is ours, daughter of our mother. And did we ever think that she would not uphold us in our essential mission? We thank you, mother, as now we rise, the women with microphones in the halls of government, in the halls of justice, of media, of religion, the women penning books and scribbling poems, the women helping women buy a goat or a sewing machine, the women marching with signs and songs. There is power in our words, and our words are these. We are here. We are female. We are divine. Message from Mother by Kara Lynn Pearson So beautiful. While I have always felt 
connected to the idea of a heavenly mother because of my own religious and cultural upbringing, it has just been in the last few years that I've been able to wrap my mind around the idea of why it feels so necessary for me. As I've dug in and begun what has become a really enriching discovery of this seeking for divine feminine in my life and in literature and in art and in symbolism and in nature, I have felt a kindredship, a sisterhood with women throughout history who have felt this same yearning. My understanding that a divine feminine to worship, to admire, to love, to get to know has is not a, a new concept. It's not a unique to my cultural, religious upbringing concept. This is a global, historic, fundamental concept that has existed from the beginning of time. The divine feminine transcends religion, transcends history and century transcends country and culture and race and creed and ideology. She is everywhere when you begin to look for her. That understanding, that awakening has felt really empowering for me. This time last year, I was gifted an article by a friend called Why Women Need the Goddess, Phenomenological, Psychological, and Political Reflections. This article was originally given as a keynote address at the University of California at Santa Cruz in the spring of 1978. This, again, is not a new idea. It's not a new concept. And it's been so interesting to find, especially in this last century, you know, of which I feel most connected to my own generation, the generation of my parents, of their parents, getting back further than that, you know, kind of stretches the mind into like, what? what was life like and you know a little a little trickier to relate to and yet the reemergence of the idea of a great goddess as a symbol as an example and in some cases as a literal deity in my generation in that my parents generation in my grandparents generation feels really connective i want to share a couple of the concepts from this essay from this keynote address by carol p christ that were enlightening to me regarding the idea or answering the question why women need a goddess why so many seek a divine feminine there are four specific reasons with you know of course more beyond this but there are four that carol explains and expresses in her article and i want to address each of those to give you some background context to the idea of why you may be feeling like you're seeking for a divine feminine or why you notice people around you or or why even the discovery and exploration of a feminine divine could be impactful in in our lives we first have to understand the significance of religious symbols and rituals in in our lives to begin to understand the effect of purely male symbolism of god on women This article states that according to anthropologist Clifford Gerties, religious symbols shape culture ethos defining the deepest values of society and the persons in it. Symbols have both psychological and political effects because they create the inner conditions that lead people to feel comfortable with or to accept social and political arrangements that correspond to the symbol system. She goes on to explain that religious symbol systems focused exclusively around male images of divinity create an impression that female power can never be fully legitimate or wholly 
beneficent. This message doesn't have to be explicitly stated. In Beyond God the Father, feminist theologian Mary Daly detailed the psychological and political ramifications of the father religion for women by stating, if God in his heaven is a father ruling his people, then it is the nature of things according to the divine plan and the order of the universe that society be male-dominated. Within this context, a mystification of roles takes place. The husband dominating his wife represents God himself. The images and values of a given society have been projected into the realm of dogmas, which in turn sustain their plausibility. Philosopher Simone de Beauvier writes that man enjoys the great advantage of having a God endorse the code he writes. And since man exercises a sovereign authority over women, it is especially fortunate that this authority has been vested in him by the supreme being. This goes beyond a particular religion, creed, or culture. Women and men seeking divine feminine brings a completion to the understanding of equality, of empowerment, and of wholeness. Of course, whenever talking about equality and about the idea of transcendence of culture and race, it's really important for me, especially as a white woman who holds so much privilege, to acknowledge that privilege, to acknowledge that although as a female, I haven't had the opportunity to see myself in the divine openly, often, I do have the huge privilege of seeing myself as a European descendant displayed everywhere and as my culture recognized in a lot of very unfair ways as the norm. As I go throughout this episode, I want to acknowledge that and recognize that beyond the difference of equality and the power structure of men and women, that the goddess and this divine feminine throughout history was erased primarily by a colonization, by the idea that a white patriarchal, uh, in a lot of ways, Christian culture should be imposed upon the world as a whole. And that as these movements of proselytization and colonization happened, and in, of course, we know, you know, tragic and terrible ways, um, cultures and families were divided and erased and, and swallowed up in to the colonization, that the divine feminine was as well a similar result. And when I go throughout and talk in this episode and relate some of the ideas that Carol Christ, who is also a white woman, a white feminist, um, shares, it feels so important to acknowledge that the sovereignty over bodies and the the recognition of seeing ourselves and feeling empowered by uh, an example of someone who looks like me is not a universal principle because of the because of the um, racial inequality and the social structures that have been part of Western colonization throughout centuries. I believe that women everywhere benefit from the exploration of the divine feminine, whether as a literal deity or simply as an example and a metaphor of their own personal power. And I recognize that that journey will look entirely different for women of color women of marginalized groups, 
and cultures who have had additional impact beyond simply the the patriarchal uh, vision of a male god, also the impact of having culture, family, uh, and the inequality that has come with, with simple racial inequalities and prejudice over time as well. I'm going to link a great article that relates some of these ideas that I it's hard to sum up, uh, written by Kavita Maya. It's called Arachna's Voice, Race, Gender, and the Goddess. It was written in 2019 and is an exploration of the theological metaphors of webs and weaving with dialogue about the post-colonial and Black feminist perspectives on politics of the goddess. That will be available for anyone who wants to dig more into this idea of the intersectionality of seeking the divine feminine and uh, general equality, like racial equality, I will make that available as a link in the show notes. Along with that, I just want to acknowledge that I understand everyone's journey and backgrounds are different when approaching the exploration of this idea and that I know that I don't hold even a tiny bit of a fullness of the understanding of where people are coming from. And uh, so forgive the omissions that I am sure to make as I share some ideas around seeking the divine feminine today. Now I'm going to dive back in to the keynote address. Carol Christ explains that the simplest and most basic meaning of the symbol of goddess is the acknowledgement of the legitimacy of female power as a beneficent and independent power. Emily Torres, writing for The Good Trade, said, Ultimately, the divine feminine is a non-denominational concept and self-exploration that restores a balance to our worship and spiritual practices. It's the ease that balances out the control, the moon that pulls the tides while the sun warms the earth. Let me share with you the four answers to the question why we need a divine feminine, as Carol Christ writes about them. Number one is power. While some may believe that a goddess is a divine female personification who can be invoked in prayer and ritual, others might simply see goddess as a symbol of life, death, and rebirth of energy and nature, and still others might find the goddess as a symbol of the affirmation of the legitimacy and beauty of female power. Any of these could be correct or considered right. None of them are necessarily out there. They're just choices to believe And yet, the symbol of a goddess reflects the sacred power within women and nature and suggests the connectedness between our own cycles of life, death, birth across the universe. Martin Pulido, who is an LDS scholar, wrote, There is an exalted woman, the mother of your spirit, who cares, instructs, and watches over you, who is helping govern the universe. There is someone on your side urging you to become all you can be, who sent her son along with the father to help you show the way. That's powerful. I read an article by writer Teresa Watanabe for San Francisco Gate, exploring the idea of seeking the feminine in God. I love a piece that she writes just about the idea of balance and power, and I wanted to share that with you. Goddess followers say their experience of God the Mother is connected to the cycles of life and rhythms of nature and is powerfully healing. I would argue that the general popular references to the Divine Feminine today exist within a context of working to redress perceptions of a gendered spiritual imbalance, says Amy Hale, an anthropologist and folklorist who has written extensively on pagan and esoteric spiritualities. 
Of course, what we call the divine feminine has a number of modern manifestations and long religious history worldwide. Goddesses were worshipped extensively in older polytheistic religions and are heavily represented in Roman, Greek, African, and Egyptian contexts. In Hinduism, goddesses are still worshipped, and Tantric Buddhism and Tantric Hinduism both have a specific focus on female deities. I love this next piece. The feminine and masculine are not singular and siloed energies. Instead, they exist in balance. For example, in ancient Chinese philosophy, yin and yang are a balance between receptive and productive, introspective and extrospective, feminine and masculine. But the two energies depend on one another, and note how the symbol doesn't cut harshly in a straight line down the middle. In a yin and yang, the black and white shapes swirl into and out of each other in harmony, changing, flowing, and making room for every possible version of balance. She goes on to conclude that the consensus I've found is that the divine feminine is closely connected to receiving or hidden, while the masculine is producing or visible. We have idealized the producing side of things as a society, particularly in the hustle culture of the U.S., and the receiving feels like a bad thing. In fact, it is only by receiving that we can continue to do. I love the way that finding, defining, and embracing the feminine divinity within us all, regardless of gender, allows us to become more powerful, to feel more in balance, to not only give and push and produce, also to receive and to protect and to rest. There are things you can't reach, but you can reach out to them and all day long. The wind, the birds flying away, the idea of God, and it can keep you as busy as anything else and happier. The snake slides away, the fish jumps like a little lily out of the water and back in. The goldfinches sing from the unreachable top of the tree. I look. Morning to night, I am never done with looking. Looking, I mean not just standing around, but standing around as though with your arms open and thinking maybe something will come. Some shining coil of wind or a few leaves from any old tree, they are all in this too. Everything in the world comes, at least closer, and cordially, like the nibbling tinsel-eyed fish, the unlooping snake, like goldfishes, little dolls of gold fluttering around in the corner of the sky, of God, the blue air. Where does the temple begin? Where does it end? By Mary Oliver. Let's move on to the second important implication of the goddess symbol for women, the affirmation of the female body and the life cycle expressed in it. There has been a historic denigration of the female body expressed in cultural and religious taboos surrounding natural processes like menstruation and childbirth and menopause, aging in women. The simple idea that something is wrong with us because of these processes that are divinely appointed to us. A lot of women grow up believing that their menstruation is a curse and that it's best hidden away and not talked about. 
even right now, in our current cultural context, a movie was released just a few weeks ago about a 13-year-old coming of age. And while the movie was about a lot of different things, the idea of menstruation being expressed in a movie for children was really controversial in what felt to me like a very surprising way. Seeking, accepting, allowing, and embracing the feminine divine allows us specific permission to embrace our own divine femininity. Carol Christ says the symbol of goddess aids in the process of naming and reclaiming the female body and its cycles and processes. The female body is viewed as the direct incarnation of waxing and waning, life and death, cycles in the universe. This is sometimes expressed through the symbolic connection between the 28-day cycles of menstruation and the 28-day cycles of the moon. Moreover, the goddess is celebrated in the triple aspect of youth, maturity, and age, or maiden, mother, and crone. The potentiality of the young girl is celebrated in the nymph or maiden aspect of the goddess. The goddess as mother is sometimes depicted as giving birth, and giving birth is viewed as a symbol for all the creative life-giving powers of the universe, not necessarily physical mothers, but women gave give birth through writing poems or songs or books or nurturing other men, women, and children. They too are incarnations of the goddess in her creative life-giving aspect. And in the end of life, women incarnate into the crone aspect of the goddess. This wise old woman who knows from experience what life is about. The woman whose closeness to her own death gives her a distance and perspective on the problems of life is celebrated as the third aspect of the goddess. Thus, women learn to value youth, creativity, and wisdom in themselves and other women. Without doing a lot of seeking or digging, some, some of our very pervasive examples of women within a you know primarily Christian context are Eve, who in a lot of uh, theologies is regarded as a temptress or you know th- the reason for our, our fall, rather than as I believe her to be a a very wise and thoughtful woman exercising power and agency because of her wisdom. Uh, And and also Mary, who, you know, beloved Virgin Mary in her eternal youth and her eternal purity. In neither of those examples does a, a, a mainstream, normal, modern woman find herself. But in a feminine divine who is maiden mother and crone who is young and and life-giving and menstruating and cyclical and aging and believing and creating we can all find ourselves there just as a side note having given you know gone through the process of of conception of course of menstruation but also of conception and of birth and you know delivery and and being in the process right now my stage of life identifying as mother one of my most powerful spiritual experience of my life has been the birth of my children the actual physical blood sweat tears fluids pain power of delivering a child into this world and that has felt so sacred and special and wildly empowering to me in a way that I don't think is often celebrated as spiritual. It isn't very long ago that the delivery of a child was uh, a situation in which the woman 
didn't even participate fully, that they were anesthetized and, you know, and blocked out from the whole process. They became a passive participant rather than an active participant in this life-giving moment. And of course, it's no secret that not a lot of dignity is given to aging women in our culture. (laughs) We live denying the idea that we will age, embracing this cyclical nature of the feminine divine allows us at any stage of our female journey to feel known, seen, and to accept the, the beauty of our current stage rather than either wishing it away or wishing ourselves back to embrace the presence in a way that allows us to claim ourselves. Pretty women wonder where my secret lies. I'm not cute or built to suit a fashion model size. But when I start to tell them, they think I'm telling lies. I say, it's in the reach of my arms, the span of my hips, the stride of my step, the curl of my lips. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Phenomenal woman, that's me. I walk into a room just as cool as you please, into a man. The fellow stands or fall down on their knees. And then they swarm around me, a hive of honey bees. I say, it's the fire in my eyes and the flash of my teeth, the swing in my waist and the joy in my feet. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Phenomenal woman, that's me. Men themselves have wondered what they see in me. They try so much, but they can't touch my inner mystery. When I try to show them, they say they still can't see. I say, it's in the arch of my back, the sun of my smile, the ride of my breasts, the grace of my style. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Phenomenal woman, that's me. Now you understand just why my head's not bowed. I don't shout or jump about or have to talk real loud. When you see me passing, it ought to make you proud. I say it's in the click of my heels, the bend of my hair, the palm of my hand, and the need of my care. Cause I'm a woman phenomenally. Phenomenal woman, that's me. Phenomenal Woman by Maya Angelou. Ooh, that's a good one. Love it so much. Okay, let's move on to the third reason stated in this keynote address, this essay, why it's important to seek out a divine feminine, and that is the idea of will. You can also uh, substitute the word will for the idea of desire. She says, in a goddess-centered context, will is valued. A woman is encouraged to know her will, to believe that her will is valid, and to believe that her will can be achieved in the world. In a lot of Western cultures, male assertion of will is celebrated and encouraged that men decide what they want and go for it and, and do it and make it happen. And that is less encouraged in women in general. Also, in a lot of patriarchal religions and cultures and contexts, women are expected to be subordinate to male representatives of leadership. In a goddess-centered framework or in seeking a divine feminine, we can find examples of the importance and celebration of female desire, of female will and interest. 
in harmony with the wills and desires of other beings. I love just the exploration of this, that wise women know that spring is the right time for new beginnings and for work and for production and and winter is a time for stripping down and going in and hibernation. This awareness of waxing and waning processes discourages imposition of will and rather encourage us to work in combination with the natural cycles in the the world in the universe at large carol christ says wise women have a tradition that whatever is sent out will be returned and this reminds them to assert their wills in cooperative and healing rather than egocentric and destructive ways the mother reminds us of the wisdom of cycles in the earth the seasons, the moon, our bodies, and ourselves. She whispers when to be slow and sleep, and when to speed back up and wake, when to grow and die and grow again. The Mother Reminds Us by Rachel Hunt Steenbleck. The fourth answer to the question of why to seek the feminine divine is our heritage. Elaine L. Jack, a former Relief Society general president in my religious tradition, the Mormon church, said, have you ever been told that you are just like your mother? Or you have your father's smile or all of your family have the same color of eyes. The physical characteristics that we inherit from our parents are obvious. The spiritual characteristics that we inherit from our heavenly parents have to be developed. A mother-daughter bond is often missing from a spiritual practice. Christianity celebrates a father's relation to the son and a mother's relation to the son, but the story of mother and daughter is missing. Carol mentions that there's this story of mothers and daughters in Greek mythology that is really unique, where Hades has taken away Persephone and Demeter. Persephone's mother is unable to accept this, She rages and withholds fertility from the earth until her daughter is returned to her. And I love how she points out what is important for women in this story is that the mother fights for her daughter and for her relationship to her daughter. And how this is different than the mother's relationship to daughter generally in other contexts. The mood celebrated by this story is the celebration of a mother-daughter bond and the affirmation of the heritage passed on from mother to daughter. Rachel Hunt Steenblick expresses this idea really beautifully in her poem, Mother Lines. I want to share that one now. Mother Lines, we all have them, come from them, one maternal, one paternal. My own maternal, Cora, daughter of Rachel, daughter of Claudia, daughter of Zena, daughter of Allie, daughter of Sarah, daughter of Maria, daughter of Anne, daughter of Hannah, daughter of who? I don't know. It's where my record breaks. My own paternal. Cora, daughter of Rachel, daughter of Larry, son of Billy, daughter of Vivian, daughter of Louisa, daughter of Mary, daughter of who? Break, break, break. Mother Lines by Rachel Hunt Steenblick. So why do some women feel really called to seek a divine feminine? For power, for embodiment, 
for desire, will, and for heritage. These, among many other reasons, which are all so individual. In the article I referenced earlier by Emily Torres, she says, maybe she embodies a woman, a moon, a chalice, or a lush garden. Maybe embodying this energy looks like prayer, or sensual experiences, or feeling the fertile soil beneath your feet. Meditate on how you can celebrate this energy within you, and especially as a divinity within others. And let's continue moving forward towards the balance that we feel is missing right now. As I finish out this episode and this exploration of seeking the divine feminine, the reasons why and some beautiful explorations of the importance of this power in our lives, I wanted to share some ways that you can embrace your own divine feminine. Whether you like the idea of a literal divine goddess being embodied who watches over and and loves and protects us, or whether you feel more comfortable celebrating the creative, cyclical, seasonal spirit of nature and the celebration of the feminine energies that surround us, I wanted to share these suggestions uh, referenced by Sarah Reagan for Mind Body Green of how we can lean into and embrace our own divine feminine. They're going to sound familiar because a lot of these are things that I talk about often on this podcast and in my life generally. Number one is to reclaim rest. I mentioned how uh, the masculine energy, uh, masculine divine energy is celebrated as being super productive and pushing through and um, very outward and that the divine feminine celebrates rest, celebrates quiet and moving in cycle with your seasons that might not always be outward. Number two, embrace your sensuality. And the word sensuality, I think, is, you know, we often conflate it with sexuality, while in reality, sensuality means having to do with your senses. Sensual experiences can include really being present as you taste something wonderful or having a comfortable robe or blanket that you wrap up in, listening to beautiful music or watching a sunrise or a sunset. These are sensual experiences and allowing ourselves to step into and embrace the senses that we have and the sensuality that life has to offer connects us to our divine feminine. Number three is to journal, to express the thoughts of our minds and hearts. There's so much research about how writing things down enables us to process them, to explore them, to um, settle with them. And journaling is a practice that I fully wholeheartedly believe in. Number four is to practice self-love, to recognize and embrace and accept those pieces of you that you see as unfit or imperfect. And in some of the ways we explored this seasonality of a maiden, mother, and crone and the embracing of different season cycles and characteristics of our individuality, we can find ourselves even more deeply in love and accepting of ourselves. Number five is to get in touch with your dreams. This one correlates with your will and your desire. Allow yourself to daydream. To ask yourself the question, what do I, what sounds exciting? What sounds interesting? Where do I want to go? What do I want to learn? And it doesn't have to be in big things. It can be in small, simple ways that you get in touch with your dreams. 
Number six is to incorporate more yin energy into your space. This would include things like creating a soothing environment through lighting and calm colors and textures and decluttering, organizing, and allowing yourself to have space that reflects peace and calm. Number seven is to prioritize me time, to recognize your importance as a you know the protagonist of your own life to step into your power and reclaim your need for personal development for uh, reconnecting to your inner self morning prayer meditation watching a sunset don't cancel on yourself for things that are insignificant number eight is to tap into your intuition begin by simply allowing yourself to ask the question what do i think about this What do I feel about this? Going in and tuning in to where you are and getting quiet, seeking the answers inside rather than outside can be a really empowering practice and a way to connect to your own inner knowing. And along with that, number nine is to go within before acting. If you're trying to incorporate a more divinely feminine characteristic get in the habit of going in and pausing before taking action where the masculine energy says just go for it and do it you know taking the bull by its horns a feminine energy uh, that divine feminine says let's be intuitive let's listen first let's let's discover how we really feel about this before moving forward and feeling like we have to take immediate action When she learned that she didn't have to plug into someone or something, like a toaster into a wall, when she learned that she was a windmill and had only to raise her arms to catch the universal whisper and turn, 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 she moved, oh, she moved. And her dance was a marvel. Power by Carol Lynn Pearson. I have really loved sharing these thoughts and ideas with you in this episode today about seeking the feminine divine. I want to make sure that you're aware that everything that I shared, I will link to in the show notes. If you go to livefreecreative.co slash podcast and look for episode 102, I will, I'm either going to find this article, I have it in print copy because it's from 1978 and copied out of a book, but let me see if I can find it and I will link it. If not, I will upload a PDF version so that you can, um, this original article essay that I was quoting from Carol P. Christ, I will make sure that's available, as well as books, um, Finding Mother God by Carol Lynn Pearson, I Gave Her a Name, Poems by Rachel Hunt Steenblick, What Kind of Woman by Kate Baer. Devotions by Mary Oliver and A Girl's Guide to Heavenly Mother by MacArthur Krishna and Bethany Brady Spaulding. All of these, plus the articles that I shared from Mind Body Green and SF Gate and The Good Trade, will all be available. It'll be a thick resources section today. My final thought is that in connecting to a divine feminine energy, power, being, I have found that I'm much more connected to the feminine divine within myself. The more clearly I'm able to see myself, trust myself, and empower myself, the better able I am to serve in every role and responsibility and relationship in my life. This journey, this yearning, this seeking 
has been ongoing for centuries across cultures, across religions, ideologies, theologies. The seeking of a feminine divine is not unique and it's not new. And as I have been able to enthusiastically and openly and and curiously seek for representations, symbols, archetypes, and in some cases, literal divine feminine energies uh, and relationships in my life, I have been overwhelmed with the ability to see differently. I find divine feminine most often in nature as I attune to the cycles and seasons of the earth, as I am able to see the way that creation happens in somewhat spontaneous ways. And as we're heading into this Easter season, the acknowledgement of renewal and rebirth as a continual and necessary process feels like a blessing. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I know it's a little divergent from my norm, and I really loved diving into this today. I hope that it's given you some things to think about. And I'm going to leave you with one final poem to inspire and uplift and hopefully help you feel seen and held. And then I will talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. She keeps an office in her sternum the flat bone in the center of her chest with all its urgent papers, vast appointments, lists of minor things. In her vertebrae, she holds more carnal tasks, milk jugs, rotten plants, heavy-bottomed toddlers in all their mortal rage. She keeps frustration in her halux, senseless chatter, jealous fangs, the spikes of a dinosaur's tail, The belly is more complicated, all heartache and ambition, fires and tidal waves. In her pelvis, she holds her labors long and slippery. In her clavicle, silent things, money and power, safety and choice, tiny banquets of shame. In her hands, she carries their egos, small and flimsy. In her mouth, she holds her laughter, gentle currents, a cosmos of everything. Motherload by Kate Bear. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.